Welcome to the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian podcast. My name is Stephen Kopp. In this episode, we're going to talk about God, who he is, and how we can know anything about him. The term God needs some clarification. We need to define what that means because it it can mean different things to different people. There is a Christian conception of God, but just because Christians have a conception of God and understanding of who God is, just just because that's the case doesn't mean when I use the word God, it's going to be widely understood by everyone. And so I, I want to start out just by defining this most basic of terms. I said in the previous episode that Christianity, first and foremost, is about God. So we need to understand a little bit about what we mean when we use the word God. I think there's a common way of understanding the word God in our culture where uh, God is, is a conception, God is an idea, God is a belief. And as such, God exists in sort of the realm of belief and we can sort of uh, bifurcate our understanding of reality in terms of the, the physical, material uh, reality that we can understand through science and through um, uh, our experiences of testing and all that. And then there's this other world of belief, this other world of, of faith. And, and that's where God is. God is in this world of faith. And what's really real is the world of science and the world of the physical, material world that we live in. And then when we get to the world of faith, that really exists, at least the way we act and the way we speak about it, it really only exists within people's minds. It exists within people's heads. And so, for instance, that's why we can speak about religious and religion in, uh, in such a way that we say, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. Or it's true for, it's true for some people, but it's not true for other people. God, God exists. God is real for you, but he is not real for other people. And when people talk like that, and, and it's a common way to speak like that, what they really mean is that uh, objectively, outside of our minds, there is no God. God is not real in an in a ob- objective sense. He exists only so much as he exists inside your mind. And if and if God is real to you, that is, if God affects, it, affects the way you think, if, if a conception of God affects the way you, you act and the way you behave, if the conception of God works for you, if your ideas of God work for you so that you can have a happy, fulfilled, productive life, then God's real for you. But that idea doesn't work for everybody. And uh, other people can have all those things with, without having a conception of God. Therefore, for them, God is not real. doesn't really matter. And so sometimes we can just, even Christians can sort of uh, be really interested in a conception and an idea of God and not really realize that who they're talking about is an objectively real person. So that's one way, and I would say that's not a Christian way of viewing God. Christians view God as, in fact, the most real thing in the universe because he created the universe. And all of the you know, amazingly real things that we have are real, real, of course, but they depend on God. 
But God is more real in the sense that he depends on nothing. He has always existed, will continue to exist, and he exists whether or not they're human minds to perceive him or not. That's the Christian conception of God. Another sort of common understanding of God is that he's uh, something like a force. Like, uh, you know, there's goodness and there's love and there's justice in the world, and so there must be something behind these ideas of goodness and love and justice. And so we'll say that's a there's some sort of force in the universe, and that force is understood as, as God. But it's impersonal. Uh, karma is one way to think about this, right? If some, you do something bad, something bad is going to happen to you. And the classic conception of karma is not personal. It's that there is this law in the universe um, that drives everything. And sometimes we can use that same idea and uh, use the word God to describe that. But again, that's not the Christian conception of God. The Christian conception of God is that he is, he is personal. There is a mind there. He is not just a force. Well, uh, another conception of God might be that there are, there are many gods. And, when, and we think of God in, as just one of many other gods. And so there, there could be all sorts of um, beings that exist in maybe a spiritual realm, but we don't, they're, they're not uh, transcendent. They're not above everything. They're, they're, in a sort of sense, part of creation. They're super powerful, super interesting beings, but that, again, this is not the Christian conception of God. A Christian conception of God is that there is, there is God and God alone, and He stands as a, as a unique being in the universe. There is none like Him. Uh, there, there is no other God, as it were. Okay, so those are some common ways, and there's probably uh, 50 million other ways to think about God. But I just want to clarify, when Christians talk about God, what they mean is a being who is all-powerful, uh, a being who is unlike anything in creation, and a being that is personal, that has, that has a mind, and that can interact, and a being that is the creator of everything. And as the creator of everything, that's, what, that's how we know, in a sense, that he is all-powerful and that he stands above creation. He's not part of creation. He is eternal. He stands above creation. And uh, he, is, he is a being of uh, immeasurable force. He's any, unlike anything else. And yet, even though he's high above, in a sense, of his creation, the fact that he is personal means that he interacts with his creation. And so then the question comes, if God is high and unlike anything in our experience, unlike anything in the rest of creation, then how could we, as part of creation, ever know anything about him? Think about the difference between a human being and a worm. There's a, there's a big difference. Both are created beings but there's a huge difference between a human being and a worm. And the question is, how could a worm, what can a worm know about a human being? And the answer you'd have to give is very, very little. Because, well, one, one thing is that worms don't have the mental capacity. They, 
They're not created in such a way that they could understand a human. And then the other thing is just that there's a big gap. They're, they're such wildly different kinds of creatures that it's impossible for the worm to really know anything about the human. Well, if by analogy we think about the difference between a human being and God, we actually have a wider gap. There's a bigger difference between God and a human being than there is between a worm and a human being. And so if that's the case, and, and why is there such a big difference? Because a, a human being and a worm are at least both created things. They're both physical, material, reality, created things. But God is uncreated. He exists outside of time, outside of creation. He is infinite, and we are not. Right? We are we're creatures. And so the question is, how, how could we then know anything about who this God actually is? How could we speak in any way intelligibly about God? It seems like the logical response would be for us to be all, all just you know, humble about our belief and say, well, I, I can't really know anything. I have no idea whether my beliefs about God are true. I should be an agnostic. And a lot of people go there. And there's a logic to it. So the question is, how can we really know anything about God? And I think the answer is that we can't on our own. We can't really know anything about God if we are the ones trying to figure him out. That is, we can't work our way, we can't uh, think our way up to who God is, but God could work it out in such a way so that he can show what he is like to us. He could do that in at least a couple of ways. One, he could, he could build us. He could shape us in certain ways to be able to understand him. If I were the creator of a worm, if I had the ability to create a worm, I could create the worm with some sort of ability to have a sense and understanding of me. I can't do that, but God is the creator of humanity. And so God could have nevertheless created humanity, given us an intellect, given us, made us as a means that could receive knowledge about him, created us in such a way that we could receive some kind of knowledge about him. And then God also could have then, once he's given us a way to understand him, he could speak to us or he could make himself known so that we could know true things about him. So he'd have to create us in such a way that we could understand him. And then he'd have to initiate, he'd have to do something so that we could know true things about him. This is where we get an important word in Christian theology called revelation. Now, sometimes you might think of revelation like the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, the apocalypse, end of the world. But what I mean by revelation here is that God reveals, he shows himself, he makes himself known. That's what revelation is all about, him revealing himself, pulling back the curtain and showing himself to humanity. So then the question is, how did God do this? How does he do this? And there's a, there's a few different ways that God could show himself. And then I think God has shown himself, and Christians understand his ways that God shows himself. One is through creation. Before we all lived in cities and we um, 
we could see the the wonder of the sky at night. You know, now when I go outside and I look up at the sky, I see just a few stars because it's all clouded out by the city lights. But I I grew up in a place there where you could easily quickly get outside the city and you could look up into the stars and you would see just thousands and thousands of stars and you, and you'd see these galaxies and you you're filled with this sense of awe, uh, of amazement. Or you know, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I went out to Colorado and I was climbing the mountains in Colorado. And you just look out and you're just, you have this sense of grandeur, of amazement, this sense of awe. I think that sense of awe is a way that we can know something about God through his creation, through the world that he has made. We can just look up at that and we can say, and, and we get this sense, this, this awesome sense that there's a, there's a powerful being behind this. It's not just an accident, but it's, it's creation. There's a mind behind this. There's, there's a beauty. There's a beauty that goes beyond my own conception of it in my material mind. That's one way. Another way that I think God shows himself is that he gives us a moral sense. That there, there aren't just things that I dislike or like, uh, that I find painful or happy, but that in the universe there are things that are really evil, morally evil, and there are also things that are morally good and noble and pure and just. And those things don't just apply to me, but they apply to everybody. There, There is a moral sense where we say, yeah, this is right, this is noble, this is good, and we say, no, that is evil. That is unjust. That is horrific. And that gives us a sense of God's moral character. There's a moral being in the universe who stands behind that. I, I, the Bible also has interesting stories of God speaking in dreams or, or in visions or of, or of granting us an impression. Or maybe God sometimes can move in a dramatic way in history, some sort of dramatic event or some sort of miraculous event where it seems like just everything is, is uh, it, it's working in such a way that you say there's something behind this. Something, is go- something outside of the ordinary is going on here. There's a being outside the universe intervening in history and morphing it and changing it and doing something miraculous. And then God could also give us written words, written language, or, or verbal words, or verbal language. And this is where we start to get to the idea of the Bible, how God speaks to us. When Christians talk about the Bible, sometimes they'll call it the Word of God. They'll call it God's Word. And and the Bible is really interesting, kind of complex, and we're going to spend all episode three talking about the Bible and the story of the Bible. But the Bible is interesting because it's, it's God's revelation to us. It's God revealing himself to us. In some sense, it, re- it, it records what God has done. And so, for instance, God worked in history through the nation of Israel. And there was a time in history when, when Moses, the prophet Moses, goes up on a mountain and God um, appears to Moses in the mountain. He appears to all of Israel as this, as this uh, smoke and fire and this volcanic thunderstorm type of activity, and he speaks out of it. Well, God's 
re revealed himself. He showed himself at Sinai, at that mountain for Moses. That was his revelation. And then in the Bible, we get the record of that. So the Bible records all these revelations that God has given, these ways that he showed himself. But the Bible is also revelation in and of itself because it interprets all that. It helps us put all of that data together and understand it in a way that is a unified way. So then the question is, if God has given us a book, what sort of book has he given us? What do we see when we actually come to the Bible? There are a bunch of different ways to approach the Bible, a bunch of different uh, conceptions, ideas about what the Bible is. I think the, one of the most common things that I see today is, is that the Bible can be viewed as a collection of inspirational sayings. I think we think of it this way, or we can be prone to think of it this way, because of social media and because of, you know, we got Twitter and Instagram and stuff, and so we see inspirational quotes all the time, and some of those inspirational quotes you might see on your timeline are Bible verses. Or you might see a poster on somebody's wall. Or I grew up before social media was a thing, and uh, on my kitchen table we had this this little, uh, you know, container that was like four inches long, two inches wide, and it, it had like 200 different pieces of paper that were real small, and each one of those pieces of paper had a little Bible verse on it, like the size of a fortune cookie thing. And so the idea was, is each day you kind of pick one up, you read it, and you feel inspired for the day. Oh man, look at how much God loves us. Look at how cool God is, all that stuff, and sort of file that away. And so we sort of have this, we sort of imagine that if you open up the Bible, you can point to any place in the Bible and you'll feel this, you'll get this inspirational quote and you'll feel good for the day, etc. Our culture and our social media reinforces that. So is that what it is? Is the Bible sort of a collection of these inspirational quotes? Well, I just read the Bible a little bit. You find out really fast that it's not. And you come to some parts and you say, this is not inspirational at all. I got a list of names here. I don't feel anything when I point to the book of Numbers and I get a list of names and begots and begots and he begot him. And that, that's not inspirational. Uh, so the so the inspirational quote idea of the Bible doesn't fit that well. Well, another way we use it oftentimes is a book of rules, a book of commands, a book of laws. And uh, and so we take a look in there and we say, uh, well, there's there's the Ten Commandments. That's a book of laws. Uh, you got Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus gives a, a list of commands. Um, you got some uh, some lists of commands and. In Paul's letters, so it's not that the Bible doesn't have commands, just like it, it also has inspirational sayings. But if you again, if you take a look at the whole Bible, you, you go you go several chapters before you get to uh, you go through a couple of books. Right, Genesis doesn't have any commands in it, really. It's got something else. It doesn't fit well. And if you read the whole Bible through the lens of, well, I think this is going to give me a rule book for how to live. You might be kind of disappointed. It just it just doesn't do that all the time. That's a part of it, but it do, doesn't do that all the time. Well, another way that people want to view the Bible is is as a set of theological and propositional statements. 
You know, we we want to we want something that that seems really really logical, fits together really well, and so we look at it for a, a list of these propositional statements: A and B and C, and this is true about God, and this is true about humanity, and this is true, and this is true. And again, that there's a lot of there's a lot of that in there. Once you get into the New Testament and you start looking at uh, Paul's letters, the letters that Paul writes to the churches, there's a lot of propositional logic in there. That's the way oftentimes that Paul and others speak. They just say true things. And you take that true thing, you understand that true thing, and you benefit from it. So there's a lot of theological and propositional statements. This is true, this is not true. Just like there's a lot of laws, just like there are things that are inspirational or wisdom. But I think that if you take a look at the Bible as a whole, it's got all those things in it. But I think what unifies the Bible is that the Bible is a story. It's the story of God's rescue. It's the story of God working in history throughout the history of humanity as he interacts with humans. And the way he tells the story, the way that God tells us the story in the Bible, is in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's through stories. Sometimes it's through poetry, through songs, like in the book of songs. Sometimes it isn't a collection of sayings like you get in the book of Proverbs. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's propositional logic. Sometimes it's a letter that's written. Sometimes it's through a, a genre called apocalypse, which is a revelation, which is a really interesting imagery. And sometimes it's Jesus telling a parable of a farmer sowing some seeds. And so... The Bible as a whole, I think the Bible is is a unified story. It's got, it's been written uh, over a couple thousand years. It's been written over a very long time. It's been written by tons of different human authors under the inspiration of the author who is God, of course. It's been written in all this way and it's got all these different kinds of, I mean, it's, it's, it's ancient Jewish meditation literature and it's ancient Jewish um wisdom literature, and then it's Greek letters, and it's gospels, it's stories about Jesus, and then it's these visions of this man named John. And so it's so diverse, but what unifies it is that it's this great story of God's rescue, and that great story of God's rescue centers then on the person of Jesus. Next episode, we're going to talk specifically about what's in the Bible, but I just kind of want to give, as I close out this episode, what is the big story? If it is a big story that's all about Jesus, what is this big story? I want to say it's kind of got four acts, four scenes. What The third, first one is creation. God creates the world. Everything is good. The second one we could call corruption. Everything that God created that was good, that was beautiful, human beings corrupted it. We twisted it. We, we broke all that was good that God created. But then God is loving and and good, and so there's the next part of the story is rescue, or salvation, or redemption would be another word. God takes what is broken, and he is working to heal what is broken. And at the center, the core of that redemption, of that rescue, is the person of Jesus. And then there's another part, which is at the end of the Bible, which which we'll call recreation, that God is reforming. He, he, he makes things new once again. Now, we live in this time when God has performed substantial healing in Jesus, but 
we are yet to look forward to a time when the corruption is gone. We're still in a world that is filled with corruption. So we live in this intermediate time, and the Bible points us to a future time when Jesus is going to make all things well and all things right and all things just once again. And then we will truly know God also. Now we can know him partially through his word, through his revelation, but then we'll be able to know him fully. Thanks for listening to What Does It Mean to Be a Christian podcast. Good news. It's now available on a bunch of different apps and uh, podcasting platforms like Spotify and Stitcher, and it's on uh, available in apps on the iPhone, so check it out.